Um, guys, we're going to jump right into it this morning. As Casey mentioned, we have been working through a series of teachings, a, a bit of a theme, if you will, entitled Life in the Spirit. Um, and just for those of you who are perhaps new, this is your visitor, first time here, you're like, oh, what is that? Life in the Spirit is, is one of the uh, meta themes all throughout Scripture, particularly in the New Testament. It's, it's one of these ideas that just come up over and over and over again. And the idea is simply this, when someone decides to follow Jesus, to surrender their will, um, to trusting and obeying Jesus, that's not just uh, sort of a new philosophy that you might su- subscribe to and, and some teachings that you might apply to your life. Um, it, it is those things. But even more than that, uh, following Jesus is a holistic experience of being in relationship with God by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that when I leave, I'm going to send another like me. And you're going to continue this, but it's going to be for the world. Everyone is going to be able to live life in relationship with God, with our Father, the way that I've done, the way that I've modeled for you. And so it's the, the Christian life. It's, oh my goodness, it's when you read the scriptures and think to yourself, is this what it's meant to look like? Because this, this, this is incredible. This is astounding. This, this is radical. I want this. This is life in the spirit, radical surrender, radical hope, radical sacrifice, radical joy, new life in Jesus Christ, life in the spirit. So there you go. That's what we've been talking about, and we're going to talk about it for two more weeks. This is our penultimate message uh, this morning. So you guys ready? Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going. You want to go ahead and open your Bible, if you brought one. Um, As always, the text I'll be reading from this morning will be on the screens behind me. Ephesians chapter 1, sorry, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. It's a prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly all than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. 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 Father, help us. Amen. We're going to talk about the church this morning. That's what we're going to talk about. Life in the spirit and what that means for being a part of what Jesus referred to as his church. 
What's that all about? What does it mean to be a part of the church? He describes this process of being powered in our inner being with the very strength of God. Being filled with all the fullness of God. Being rooted and grounded in the love of God. God said, I am love. It's this incredible, mind-boggling uh, imagery of the man or woman who has put their faith in Jesus, a saint, being filled with God. And then he said, in that process, God will be glorified in the church and in Jesus Christ. Now, elsewhere in the scriptures, the church is actually referred to as the body of Christ because Jesus is, in fact, in heaven, ruling over the universe from his throne. On earth now, in this sort of present age, the church is like his body, or his hands and his feet. We are his people working in the world um, in a way that resembles the way he was working in the world when he lived in the world and walked the earth. So somehow, like, the church and Jesus Christ are intertwined. We are his body. We are his representative, his divine priests, ordained royal priests ordained to carry on his work in the world. This is astounding. This is altogether dignifying. Like if you're the kind of person who thinks, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not worthy. Clearly I'm in the wrong place. I don't, I, I don't remember getting that memo. God wants to do what through my life? You gotta be kidding me. I know nothing. I'm weak. I'm a mess. No, God wants to use you. And me too. Thank God. It's also overwhelming because the implication is that I have this like responsibility. If I am part of the church, God wants to do something in and through my life, through our lives, in a way that actually demonstrates who he is, what he's like, his glory to the world. That's heavy. That's, that's an incredible responsibility. What do you suppose, well, let me ask, let me start with this question. What do you think about the church these days? What do you think about our church? What is your view of the church? Or perhaps an even more, um, I don't know, relevant, humbling question would be, what do you think uh, those who aren't in this church think about the church? What is the world's perception of the church these days. You know, we all have friends that aren't here right now, right? You ever, you ever talk about church? You ever find yourself in one of those sometimes awkward conversations about, yeah, what do you do this weekend? What, what, do, you, what, do, what, do, you, what do you do with your Sunday mornings? I'm part of a church. What sort of imagery would that invoke in a person's mind? If you said, oh, yeah, I'm... I was at church. I'm part of a church. I love my church. What does that mean? Do you think they would like immediately think, man, that's, wow, that's, whew, that's awesome. That is, oh my goodness, that is incredible. You're in the church? You mean the church of Jesus? The church that is actually like resembles God in heaven on earth? 
couple of you are shaking their heads like, mm, probably not exactly what they'd be thinking. What does the world think? You know, I walked up to, to our building here, I think it was Monday morning, maybe it was Sunday, I was leaving the church. A few days ago, I was either coming and going and I noticed someone left a whole pile of, I don't know if it was a donation or garbage. It was maybe a combination of both. Um, I chose to believe, like that was probably um, a very well-intending person trying to like make a donation to the church. Um, with some underwear, uh, some broken toys, and I'm sorry, I, sh- I should stop. <laughs> For all I know, that wonderful neighbor is sitting here right now. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the gesture. But it got me thinking, man, what is, why? Why would, that's an interesting thing. Someone would sort of like put their stuff in, in front of our door, and it makes me wonder like, huh, what, why would someone do that? What is their perception of the church, is this just kind of where we come to donate our old stuff? Dump our garbage? What do people actually think is going on in this little community that's beginning to form in this, this particular space and as we spread out all over wherever we're coming from? What is the perception of the church? The church... You know, when the New Testament talks a lot about the church, you don't hear the word church mentioned in the Old Testament because the, the people of God were the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, theologians would describe the church now as the restored Israel, not the ethnocentric nation of Israel, obviously, but we are now the people of God, Jews and Gentiles, all brought into the family of God. We've all been made one. We're all brothers and sisters because of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. He tore down the veil that used to separate us one from another and from God himself. And now we've been welcomed home into the family. And that is the church, the family of God, the people of God, the building of God, the new temple. You know, I've been in several uh, some of the largest cathedrals in Europe. When I, my wife and I, we lived in the, U- the UK for several years, as I've mentioned many times. Have you ever been into one of these old, old, like nearly thousand-year-old cathedrals in the UK or Europe? They're incredible, absolutely incredible. If you read the description of the temple in Israel, now there was the first temple that was raised to the ground, eventually it was rebuilt by the Romans and, and some of the Jewish people. And the second temple was spectacular in of itself. And now, of course, that temple's no longer in existence either. But even when you go to the mound where the temple used to exist, there's this gorgeous mosque. And it's, it's, it's uh, awe-inspiring. It's amazing. And these old ancient cathedrals, they're incredible, but they pale in comparison to what the first temple would have looked like, or the second temple, for that matter, in Jerusalem. And we read that when Jesus was walking through the city, they were in awe of the the splendor of this temple. And Jesus began to talk about, I'm going to do something even greater. This this temple, it will be raised to the ground. It's going to be torn down and I'll raise it up in three days, actually. And of course, he was talking about himself, that he would die. But he was also talking about the fact that, that he was about to do something new. 
that would make the glory of the former pale in comparison to his church, his people that he was making new in the world. And we, the church, are meant to actually be conduits of the very glory of God. Something about our community here is meant to resemble the justice, the peace, the joy, the righteousness, the holiness, the love of God in Christ. And it's supposed to actually surpass the very glory of the temple itself. I'm, I'm sorry, but you just have to like, think about that for a second. But here's the rub. How does our world, or how do we ourselves view the church? Now, to be sure, it's not a building. It's human hearts, it's people, it's our relationships all intertwined, like a family, like a body. The the body, that's the, the most common, the primary metaphor that's used in the Bible to describe the church, the body of Jesus. All of these parts working together in unison, one building up another. What do you think about the church? The church in the New Testament is always referred to as actual uh, communities. So there is the church. In fact, we keep reading in Ephesians. If we go on to Ephesians chapter 4, it says that there's one spirit and one church. So we're all part of the 2,000-year-old universal church of Jesus. That means we have saints who are now in heaven cheering us on because they gave their lives for the sake of the gospel in the first century. And like, we're a part of that. We're a part of this building. If you look at the floor on the ground, we were praying this morning and Hannah pointed this out and it was so wonderful. But you find all these discolored little marks on this floor. You know what those marks are from? Have you ever wondered? Like I'm talking about like the little divots. Those are definitely stiletto heels. I'm convinced. I mean, I'm talking about some like wonderful old ladies praising the Lord in this place. <laughs> and we're a part of that. We're a part of that in this building. And then before them, I've, we've got some pictures I, there it, here someplace. But it was a bunch of Germans who came here. Russians, German, I'm sorry, German-speaking Russians who came and literally built this building with hammers and nails, long time ago. This whole community was a a, a German sort of refuge. We're a part of that legacy. We're a part of something much, much bigger than ourselves called the church. It's glorious, it's it's amazing. It makes you wanna dream a little bit about what God is doing and, and who we might become. But what is the church? So the church, is always an actual community of people. It's not an abstract concept. That was the point I was about to make. There's one spirit and one church. So there is the universal church, the historic church, um, which in our minds probably feels much more of an abstract concept. Like I don't know the people who lived in the first century. I don't, I don't relate with them. We don't speak the same language. I, I never knew the Germans, although apparently there, was, uh, there is a woman in the room with us whose grandfather helped build these pews. So we have some connection. 
But the church is more than just an abstract, once upon a time concept. The church in the New Testament is always thought of or, or addressed in the context of actual communities with actual people, like real names mentioned. But I think sometimes because we live in a world where we, we are becoming increasingly disembodied in the way we view and engage with one another, and I would blame that at least in part on the digital revolution. Like we, we think we have relationships with like all of these hundreds of people out in the World Wide Web, and as much as I'm very, very appreciative for the technology and the means to communicate with people in that way, I'm married to a South African woman who wants to like maintain her relationships with her families in Africa, so I'm very grateful for that. But the flip side of that is that we begin to think of each other in these disembodied terms. We begin to think of the church as this concept versus like, no, it's in the New Testament, it's always thought of as like actual relationships, real people that we're in regular interaction with, doing life with, mourning with, celebrating with, over time, day to day, month to month, year to year, raising our kids together, burying our elderly together, life together in reality, not just as an idea that sounds kind of good because everyone's into community these days. Have you noticed? I don't know of a time when people weren't into community, but more than ever, it seems like this community over everything. I've been seeing that poster around town, community over everything, and I'm like, what kind of community is that? What kind of, what, what, what is this community? What is this community? Where is it? Because I want in. It sounds cool. It sounds great. But in Scripture, it's not just, it's what I like to refer to as church the blob versus church the body. It's easy to think of church as the blob. It's just this kind of out there thing. It's big. It's a little deformed. It sort of morphs here and there. And it always exists. But that's, that's not the vision. That's not the way the church is described or talked about in letters like the Ephesians or body. There's meant to be definition, actual distinct working parts that complement one another. How do you feel about this church? I want to say a few things now. I'm going to highlight a few verses as well. But I want to say a few things that I hope actually really challenge some of you, or all of you, including myself. Because I think when you, you put the church on display these days, guys, we, we've sort of lost our way a little bit. I think we've, we've lost touch like with what is this community that encapsulate this vision that we find within Scripture. This sort of community that is like a conduit of God's glory. That when the world looks in, there should be a moment of awe. Like, wow, like that's not actually Jesus because they're not perfect, but there's something about these people and the way they're doing life together in this community that certainly resembles Jesus, particularly in the way they love each other. And I want to challenge us. I want us to think about that. And I want you to even ask yourself the question, what is my relationship with the church? Do I view the church as a blob that I can kind of just like 
come in and out of, depending upon where, I don't know, I might just happen to be or who invites me someplace. Someone may have invited you here this morning. I look around, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know a few people. This is wonderful. I hope this isn't too abrasive. But I want to ask you, where are you at with the church? Where are you at with Jesus? I guess that would be a, perhaps even a better place to start. Do you, do you know the Lord? Have you ever experienced a freedom in Christ? Have you ever surrendered your life and experienced forgiveness so that you can like come back into a right relationship with God? I mean, that's a, don't even get me started. It's wonderful, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's where the action's at. But then we do it together. And so then the question is, well, where, where are you at with the church? Do you know that part of how God transforms us and works through us to display his beauty to the world is through the church? Amen. But what's your relationship with the church? Would you, do you ever find yourself saying, I talk to people quite a bit, and people often say, uh, Pastor, your church. And occasionally I'll be like, wait, what a sec- wait a second. You've been a part of this church for three years. <laughs> it's our, I believe that's the word you're looking for, our church. This is our church. We're in this together, for better or for worse. What's your relationship like? We're a body. We're a body that bears with one another. If we go back to the letter, Ephesians, that prayer that I read off, that's the very end of chapter three. And it ends with a resounding amen to be filled with all the fullness of God, to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, like this sort of crazy imagery. Intense, awesome, awe-inspiring. And then he goes on to say, therefore, this is Ephesians chapter four, a prisoner, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So in the light of all of that awesome being filled with all the fullness of God, being rooted and grounded in love, being filled with the love of God that surpasses all knowledge and all these incredible things, he says, therefore, I want you to live your life like this, bearing with one another, with humility and patience and gentleness, being gracious towards one another. That's kind of a twist. You would think he would say, therefore, I want you to go out into the world and impress the socks off of all the atheists. Go lay hands on every dead person you can find and see, you know, like saying, that would be impressive. But he doesn't say that. He says, now, in the light of all of that, I want you to consider your relationships. I want you to consider the people that are in your church community and how difficult they are to love. And I want you to do that really well. Because that is the power of God at work in his body. When we begin to love each other. And you know, have you ever noticed? um, The church can be full of a lot of wonderfully awkward people. Sorry, I'm trying not to make eye contact with anyone right now. (laughs) Sometimes I do that when I'm preaching. I'll just sort of like make eye contact with random people. I don't want to like zoom in right at Josh. Awkward people. (laughs) 
you're the, the furthest from awkward. But church is hard. Loving people is hard. Come to a prayer meeting at 6 a.m. That can be really, really challenging. I'm not talking about the 6 a.m. part. I'm talking about the kind of people who come to a 6 a.m. prayer meeting. It's just hard. It's just hard. You're like trying to be spiritual and like doing your prayer thing. And you have like a, a beloved brother or sister going on some like weird like, like what are you even talking about right now? Like, and it's hard. He goes on in that same passage to say, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, lest you give the devil an opportunity. I love that part because the Bible is so honest about like humanity, how broken and frail and difficult it can be to love, which is why we need the Spirit to empower us to love. I can't love people in my own strength. Maybe my kids, because I have biology working for me. I have an actual biological bond with them. But it is hard to love people who don't think like us, who don't talk like us, who don't look like us, who have perhaps different doctrinal convictions. And yet we're meant to bear with one another. And it's okay if we get angry with each other. It's okay. We should. I mean, come on. It's family, right? Are we, are we a blob or a body? It's, it's easy to write off the blob. Family gets personal. Get mad. If I say something that offends you or rubs you the wrong way or I make a little joke and it's totally inappropriate, I hope you're mad at me. You should. And I hope you don't let the sun set on that anger. I hope you love me enough to let that anger compel you to actually confront me and say, hey, I really do love you, but what you said, that was not on. That, that felt biblically inaccurate and just simply inappropriate. Can, can we talk about that? And hopefully you'll do it in a way that's gentle, that's humble, that's patient and gracious because that's how God interacts with us. But it's okay to be angry. Just don't let it fester because that's where the enemy comes and begins to exploit the, uh, the difficulties we face in our relationships. You know, the first church I was ever part of as a Christian, it died. And I've, I've shared this with you before. One of the associate pastors in our church was having an affair with one of the young ladies in the church and had tried to keep it hidden for years, as it turns out, and that didn't work. And so eventually it came out and it devastated our church, as you can imagine. A lot of trust broken. A lot of disillusionment set in, like, immediately. And that was hard. But you know what was really hard? Was to see how in, in the wake of that incredibly painful sin, the way brothers and sisters began to just turn on each other like ravenous dogs. We began to just tear each other apart. At that time, I was actually on staff at the church. I was just like a little intern. I wasn't, I wasn't really anyone. Um, you know, I wasn't like a, a leader per se. Um, 
but all of a sudden, I became like a target. It was one of the hardest couple of years of my life because I was on staff and some of the people in that church decided like, Dude, we're gonna, we're gonna burn this thing to the ground. We want blood. An apology is all right, but we wanna see heads roll. We want vengeance is what it was. And it was, oh, it was ugly. It was ugly. People were hurt, deeply, deeply hurt. The church was ripped apart. And it was telling of the sort of the, the, the maturity in that church. Clearly, we had not uh, figured out the gift of forgiveness. That's my opinion. Because when it came to actually forgiving the one caught in adultery, we all had rocks in our back pocket, like, let's get him. Let's get this guy. He repented and began to work on his marriage after many years of counseling and healing. Uh, God restored his family, his children, and now he, uh, he tells his story to give people hope who are going through that similar kind of pain. God is faithful. God is so faithful. We bear with one another. We care for one another. It says in Acts 2 that when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, this was the day that the church was birthed, the birthday of the church, that a few thousand people put their faith in Jesus that day. And uh, all of a sudden, the family of God got really, really big. And it said that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which we call the Bible, the New Testament, and to one another, the fellowship. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It says those four things specifically, but they were devoted to one another. It says that they had everything in common, No one went without. The widows were fed. The orphans were provided for. Everyone had everything in common. Totally radical. I don't know if that would necessarily work in our contemporary context. But principally, spiritually, I think that's exactly God's vision for his church. Um, I had someone in the congregation recently, uh, just because of the relationship we had, he said, look, I have medical bills that are going to perhaps financially cripple my family. And, and I sort of insisted that he tell me details. I want to know. Because I want to be the kind of church where we can support one another. And so I said, please, uh, send me PDFs of your medical bills. I made a couple text messages. A couple of other people sitting in this room right now uh, made sure that those medical bills got paid. That was the church being the church in a moment. And it was amazing. It was amazing. I want to become more like that. Where because we're devoted together. And it's, here's, this is a side point. But when you're together, it says they were together every day. Every day they were together in their homes and in the temple. Could you imagine? Oh my gosh, you want to talk about bearing with one another. <laughs> Woo! Every day for 18 days. Let's see what happens. We'll learn grace one way or another. They were together, and because they were together, needs were made known. That's how you figure out, like, where are the needs in the church? 
Who has what need? What's really going on? What marriage is falling apart? Who's hurting? Who's broke? Who's about to become homeless? I don't know. Well, just let's, let's be together. Let's be together so much that we begin to talk about our lives and spill our guts and get vulnerable with each other so that eventually, just because of the sheer fact that we're together enough, we'll begin to, to know what the needs are. But if we see each other once every maybe like two weeks or an hour on a Sunday, come on. Who are we kidding? Who are we kidding? We know our coworkers' needs better than the person that I'm sharing a pew with right now. Is that not true? That's true. Broadly speaking, anyway. That's true. And so in order to really know how to care for one another as a church, we've got to be together. We've got to come together. We've got to talk. Talk to me. What's going on? Now, you may not be ready to spill your guts in conversation number one, but maybe after about a thousand hours, we might be getting someplace. We're the church that, this one's going to be fun, that submits to one another. Now, if you keep reading the letter, eventually we get to Ephesians chapter 5. And that's where he starts talking about, it's such a bad word, but I think it's the right word. He starts to talk about the hierarchy within the relationships within the church. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you have a better word for it. But this idea of headship and submission, and it's, you see it happening in the family, you see it happening in the church, which is why also he says that you have to submit to your leaders, now, you can understand why this would be very awkward for me to talk about. But the Bible, like, makes no apologies about it. Within the body, there's headship and submissions. Now, to be sure, we're all submitting to one another. Like, my kids submit to my wife and I. And then depending upon the relationship, the dynamic, we're submitting to one another. Like, for example, so the Holy Spirit has appointed me as a spiritual overseer of our church here. I'm using the language of Acts 20. The Holy Spirit appoints overseers over the church, okay? But in another context, I submit myself to, I mean, I could point out a couple of men in this room. I'm part of a Sunday evening men's group, and in that meeting, I'm not the leader. I am submitted to my brothers in that context. So when I'm talking, when the Bible's describing a hierarchy and relationship, it's not that dirty word that gets abused in the world. It's not that kind of hierarchy. And maybe there is a better word for it, but this idea of headship and submission, the body is defined in such a way that there is leadership. It's not everyone just doing their own thing. It's not just whatever you happen to feel like, whatever God just happens to be saying to you privately and to no one else in your church family. No, we're submitting to each other. And so the church needs leadership, just like our families need leadership. And one of the big reasons for that is because the church is on mission. There is a purpose for us coming together. But when we're all just doing our own thing as we see fit, it's really hard to to move in any particular direction. It's like we might make an announcement and say, hey guys, we're going to do a worship night on the 29th. It's going to be phenomenal. And I think it will be really good for our church. 
um, the elders and I and some of our other leaders, we've been praying about it, and we just really feel like this is going to be so good for us. So this is what we're doing as a church. Now, if in your heart you think, eh, probably not. Not really my thing. Eh, maybe we'll see. That's not a submitted attitude. Now, for sure, we're not going to become, become the kind of church where it's like we're like taking attendance at every meeting. We're going to figure out why weren't you there and like you need to submit and you, you're in rebellion. I've been a part of that church. We will never, ever be a part of that church. I'll be the first one to leave that church, okay? But to have a submissive attitude that says, you know what, this is my church. And if the people leading, my leaders, who I, apparently are like gifts from God are saying, hey, church, this is where we're going, and I think this is, this is going to be good for us as a body. Let's all go. The submitted heart should say, all right, great. I'm part of the body. Let's go. Now, I may not be particularly excited about whatever that thing is. Maybe you're like, I honestly just don't like worship nights. It's not my thing. That's all right. That's fine. Fair enough. I do a lot of things that aren't my favorite thing. But when we're a part of the church, when we submit to one another, and we recognize the gift of leadership, that God actually appoints leaders to oversee the the spiritual well-being of a body, well, then we see it as a gift. We say, all right, you know what? Let's do it. You make the call, I'll show up if I can. That's a church that's submitted. Yeah. Last point. The church that's devoted to one another. I don't have Bible verses for this one. A lot of these things, it's like you have to read almost the entire New Testament to begin to get like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm beginning to see the vision. It's, it's beginning to take shape now. But the church that's devoted to one another, they dream together, they work together, they grow together, they rest together. If we're truly devoted to one another, then we dream together. You know there's some really cool dreams beginning to intersect in our church family right now? Guys, I could take another hour to tell you some stories. There are some very, very cool things happening in our little church community here, happening in this building. In fact, I'm going to give it a little plug right now because if you've not heard of Penumbra, good news, good news, good noise. Good noise radio. So a few people right here have, and Alex Nutter, who's not here right now, he'll be here next week, have just started this, um, it's an audio production, it's a phenomenal audio drama that they've been working on, producing now for months, and they just released the, the pilot episode last week, and it was amazing. Was it last week? It was amazing. So check it out, Penumbra, because this is happening in that little room right there, and there's other things. There's, there's, people are worshiping people. Have you been to the room up, upstairs in the balcony? Sorry, I've got to give you a shout out now, right? It's gorgeous. It's still in the making. But guys, we have like creative people, really smart people. Oh, by the way, the coffee machine is working now. Shout out to Garrett Tams. And look, I'm sure there's a lot of other things going on. 
Like it's not just about this building or just these people. I mean, the family of God is wide and, and it is. We're meant to actually like cross over into other parts of the body. We're meant to have relationships outside of our little you know, single local church. But within this community, guys, there's some awesome stuff happening. And I want you to know about it. I want you to get in on it. And I want you to know that you have a role to play. You have a role to play. Not a single person here is insignificant. And I'm not just trying to make you feel special, okay? You are special, so just deal with it. And I'm telling you, you have something to contribute. You have a gift, you have a, a, a perspective, you have an experience, you have a pain, you have a story, you have a talent. You have something that someone else needs in this community and in the world. And when we all begin to dream together, Oh my goodness, guys, can you imagine the dream that it took to build this building with like nails and hammers? You should go up to the attic. The beams are massive up there. This was before cranes. I don't know how they did it except that they had a big, big dream and a big, big God. Could you imagine what God would use us to build if we began to dream together? Dream together, work together. Grow together. Some people come to church because you're like, look at, I'm here because I'm a wreck. Because my marriage is on the rocks. Because I'm addicted. Because I feel like dirt. And I need you to teach me how to hope. That's what I'm here for. Now you're asking me to like, what, give something? I got nothing. I got nothing. Lie. You've got everything. You've got breath in your lungs. You've got the Spirit of God living inside of you. You've got something to offer. And the healing you're looking for, it's going to happen in the context of being in that community. You sharing your life. You realizing that you belong here. You have something invaluable to contribute. And when we begin to work together like that, we start growing together. We heal together. We experience more freedom together. It's together that we find the healing we're looking for because we all need it. I'm not just, I don't have any interest in using anyone in this room. If you've ever been a part of a church where after a few months or a few years, you leave just feeling exhausted. Because you're like, dude, I just, I just feel used. And I gave everything. And I'm exhausted. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And if I've ever made you feel that way, I'm sorry. The church isn't here to use people or to get your money. Or to just simply get you to volunteer your time. church that's devoted to one another we we dream we grow we also rest we rest together we come together we leave our sword and shield at the door we take a deep breath and we say lord jesus help start giving each other shoulder rubs take the the balm of healing. Be like, come here, where are you sore? Where are you sore? Let me lay hands on you. Let me anoint you with oil. You tired? You weary? Cool, let's go meet with Jesus together. We rest. 
Can I invite the worship team to join me up front, please? A more skilled pastor could spend a few more months preaching on the church. Because there's so much more that could be said. It's God's vision to use his church. Hang on, I just said that we don't want to use people uh, to utilize to utilize his church in a way that the world is blessed. But that's enough for now. I'm gonna pray for us and then I'm gonna invite Adam uh, B to come up and lead us in communion. Can we stand together please? Heavenly Father, thank you for just the gift of being together, the gift of relationships. Father, thank you for the work that you're doing um, in our church. Lord, in all of your church, Lord, wherever your people have gathered. Lord, I thank you for your promise to, um, you said that you would continue to perfect the good work that you started and that you would build your church, Lord Jesus. Lord, would you help us? Would you give us a greater revelation of what you're doing in Grace City, Portland, and how you would call us to to trust you in new ways and to, to go all in, to experience the grand adventure of being your people on earth. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.